Man, and we sing that truth. We recognize that truth every week. Christ laid aside his crown for my soul, for your soul, believer. Cling to that truth today. And we're going to be looking at that truth a little more these next four weeks. Um, we're going to be in a new brief series, Christmas series, leading up to the 19th. That will be our day that we have some special uh, Christmas uh, songs, some choir, stuff like that. Uh, by the way, if, if you want to, we're going to get the choir together now that we're in days where we're less concerned about passing around some illness. I don't know about you, but my family has been dealing with illness for a few weeks, and I think all the, the being inside our own homes has just like totally weakened our immune systems, I'm convinced, because we got hit pretty hard. But uh, anyway, so as we, as we look into this, uh, this season, we're going to be prepping some, some choir songs. If you'd like to sing in the choir on the 19th and let Josh know, we'll have a couple of practices before then. Keep that in mind. But yeah, we're going to be in a new series, four weeks. It's going to be Long Expected Jesus. As you know, there is that song that we sing this time of year, Come, that Long Expected Jesus. And our focus over these next three weeks and then conclude on the 19th will be Jesus as our prophet, priest, and king. Now, why is this so important during this time of year? Because we are celebrating that advent of Jesus coming. And at the same time, we always remind you that we are looking toward his second advent. And this prophet, priest, and king is the only one who could fulfill these three roles. And you think about the unfolding of scripture, right? Even way back in the days of Moses, Moses said, you know, there's going to be a prophet that comes after me. He's going to be greater than I am. And you can imagine, you can imagine the next prophet comes on the scene. Maybe one of the best known, the, the biggest ones we could mention is, is Elijah, the highest regarded. Maybe, maybe this is him. Maybe this is the greater prophet. And then another prophet and another prophet and another prophet and another prophet. Generations of generations of prophets. Not only that, but also priests. Priests throughout the generations showed that they were just as corrupt as everybody else and they had to go make sacrifices for themselves before they made sacrifices for the people. Generations and generations and generations of priests. And then we have kings. As we've talked about throughout Jeremiah, so many kings who neglected the word of God, so many kings who proved even at their best moments they were not good enough, we may say with David, right? Man, the great king ultimately was plagued by sin just like we are. Prophets upon prophets upon prophets, priests upon priests upon priests and kings after kings after kings. And then there was the one prophet, the one priest, the one king who came and satisfied all those prophetic statements He's the one we celebrate this Christmas season. So this week, we're going to look at Jesus, our prophet. And then as you can tell, these subsequent two weeks, we'll look at him as our priest and our king. And then we'll celebrate that all together on the 19th. 
We're going to be in the book of Hebrews this morning and the next three weeks. The book of Hebrews, and Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 9 is what we'll cover today. And before we read the text for today, I want to remind you that obviously the book of Hebrews is written to uh, Hebrews, people who are familiar with the Jewish faith, people who many of them have heard about Jesus, they've heard the gospel, but they're, they're not quite sold, many of them, not quite sold on, on whether he is actually who they say he is or whether I'm going to submit my life to him. So the letter to the Hebrews, you can see a lot of language that's urging You know, go ahead and take the next step in terms of faith. Surrender to Jesus because he is the better prophet. He is the better priest. He is the better king. He is our Sabbath rest. He is all of these things, and that's why Hebrews was written. So the writer is urging, urging his listeners to fall on Jesus in faith. Go ahead, give yourself to him. Surrender to this supreme Lord of all. All right, today's one of those days, side note. Today's one of those days. We get to springtime, fall time, and the air conditioner's not running and the heater's not running. It gets real quiet in here. And so y'all gonna need to help fill it in following Raul's lead, Okay. The whole book is about urging to faith, and that's what we get to today in chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. I want you to read with me. It says, therefore, and we'll explain why that's there. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, And every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. For it was not the angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, We do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned him with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Pray with me. Father, we... We plead for your help again. Help us to understand your word, to know Jesus through it, to be ever more transformed into his likeness. We know that this is the work of the Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus, our prophet, 
Jesus our prophet. What does this have to do with us today? I'll, I'll just go ahead and tell you, we have, we have young people in our church, uh, many of whom are really wrestling with the faith right now. What does this mean for me? What does this mean for my life? Am I willing to step across that line? Am I willing to publicly identify with Jesus through baptism? Am I really willing to plant my stake in the ground and say, I'm all for Christ the rest of my life for eternity? We have people that are dealing with that. That's why this matters. That's why Jesus being the true prophet, the one who both preached the message and himself, he is the message. This is why it's so important for you. But I would also say that maybe today, well, I'm not, I'm not like struggling with my faith. I know I belong to Jesus. I would tell you today that you might be subject to that temptation where the gospel, the message of Jesus becomes all too familiar. Oh, you know, I've heard this before. Oh, I know about Jesus. I would tell you, beware Beware of your heart's condition if you get to where the gospel of Jesus Christ becomes too familiar. You've heard me say it before. It, it, at some point in the, in the life of a believer, the good news, which is the greatest news ever told, the good news that we hear about Jesus becomes the old news. We can't get there, believers, so beware of your own heart's condition. I know sometimes we, we don't want to examine that, right? Just a few weeks ago, and I'm, I'm still kind of bitter about it, uh, my wife suggested, she said, hey, why don't you start taking your blood pressure regularly? And I know I deal with a, a, a little bit of, you know, elevated blood pressure, and that may be saying it lightly, I don't know, hypertension, pre-hypertension, whatever you want to call it. And so I started taking my blood pressure, and, and so then it's, it's like all I can think about, right? And so I'm like, Aaron, why, why did you do this to me? Why did you tell me to take my blood pressure? And now I can't stop thinking about my blood pressure. I'm reading articles about how to reduce my blood pressure. You can imagine my blood pressure right now is probably through the roof. Feel that pressure of preaching. It goes sky high. But, you know, she got me to think about it because she's concerned for my health, right? She wants me to be aware of the things that are going on so I can combat those things. We don't always want to know, right? I was fine being ignorant of my BP. But, you know, when the word shines a light on us, we have to, we have to do that examination, and so today, the word for you may not be, hey, you need to come to faith in Jesus, but the word for you today may be you have lost sight, you have lost love for appreciation for the message of the gospel, who Christ is, this one who came born of a virgin. told Kyle I didn't have many notes on my introduction and I still managed to make it crazy long. I want to encourage you to worship with fresh eyes today. Our theme this morning, 
Jesus preached an authenticated message of salvation and accomplished salvation when we could not. So when I give you the theme, just a reminder, we're trying to pack the, the meaning of this passage into one statement. So uh, some pastors, preachers, they call it the sermon in a sentence. That's what it is right there. Jesus preached an authenticated message of salvation and accomplished salvation when we could not. I want to give you three encouragements concerning our faith. Again, it may be that faith that is developing. It may be that faith that you have claimed for so long. Three encouragements concerning our faith. And from verse 1, pay closer attention to the message. He says, therefore, we must pay close, much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Now, I'm going to get to the therefore in just a moment. The therefore gets us back to chapter 1 and the content of chapter 1. But notice right here, the writer tells us that we have a drifting problem. Sometimes we think that, well, I'm not, I'm not paddling in the wrong direction, so I'm not going in the wrong direction, right? No, we, we, don't, we don't live the Christian life in some sort of uh, uh, still pond. No, we live the Christian life in the, the flowing waters of the world and the flesh. And you think, you think somehow, well, I'm not, I'm not like actively going after the things of the world or I'm not actively like despising God's word and shoot, I'm here, right? I'm listening to preaching. Our problem is not that we are paddling in the wrong direction, is that we, it's that we tend to get to where we're not even paddling at all. We just sort of, oh, okay, this is nice. I'm a, I'm a drift along here. And as somebody said so well, we never drift toward God. We never drift toward holiness. We never drift toward Christ. So if you think your Christian life is going to progress by just sort of drifting along, no, you will not look like Christ in the end. We can't drift people. So he says, hey, you don't want to drift. you got to pay attention, not even just that. you got to pay closer attention. You say, I'm, I'm paying plenty of attention. To, well, he says, you got to pay closer attention, much closer attention to what you have heard. This word uh, to, to almost like, like closer, uh, and it, in Greek, it doesn't break down very well. The idea here is to give heed vehemently. Vehemently. Is there anything about your faith that could be seen by others this morning as you approach church, as you approach the word? Could they say, man, that person is, is, is seeking Christ vehemently? Did your routine this morning look like you were vehemently, or another word we could use is super abundantly? Were you super abundantly anticipating an encounter with God as you woke up today? Were you super abundantly seeking his face, anticipating worship? He says, you got to pay much closer 
attention to the message. This therefore, okay? It refers to what we have heard. Pay much closer attention to what you have heard. So what is it that we've heard? Well, chapter 1, we learn about Jesus being the revelation of God. It says God spoke in these ways many times, in many ways, and then in these days, he's spoken to us by his son. Jesus is the word that has been spoken. He is the one who speaks the word of God. He is the revelation of God. Not only that, he goes through details, quoting scripture after scripture in chapter 1 to show that Jesus is supreme over all things. He's the radiance of the glory of God, and he is over angels. Now, it seems if, you, if you've studied Hebrews at all, you learn quickly that there's some sort of infatuation with angels. Now, you may find that at some point in your own life, and you know people get distracted by all kinds of things, but it seems that people were putting a lot of emphasis on the angelic role in God's work. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, angels are subject to him. He is over them. He is the supreme one. Now, as the supreme one, as the revelation of God, when it comes to the message that we have heard, there is no neutrality. And I want to speak to that one now who has not come to the full assurance of faith. To pay closer attention as he requests here, as he commands here, is to give abundant thought to applying what you have heard to your life. Look, it's a terrifying thing to think, man, if you've heard the gospel and you don't know Jesus, you are going to be accountable for hearing that message. The Bible says, you know, those other folks that don't hear, they're going to get their, they're going to get their punishment. It says, you who knew the master's will and didn't do it, it's going to be worse for you. To encounter the gospel message and to turn away, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. I don't want you to get the idea, if you have not come to that full assurance of faith, I don't want you to get the idea that you are somehow neutral in terms of the gospel. Like, hey, I'm not headed to heaven or hell or whatever right now. I'm just sort of trying to figure it out. No, the Bible says, John 3, 18, you are condemned already. So your state right now is headed for hell. There is no more important matter to handle right now than your standing with Jesus Christ. Growing up in in my father's home, there was one thing that I learned we could never do, and that's to stand with the door open. I remember going on vacation, these occasions where, you know, we're, we're paying so much per week, price doesn't go up or down, you know, And he's like, if you leave the door open for just a second too long, you're wasting all the cool air, right? (laughs) My sister says amen. Uh, There's one thing you weren't going to do. You weren't going to stand with the door open. We do it too, right? Those with kids, you see your kids standing there. They're not going in or out. What do you say? Hey, in or out, in or out, shut the door. Don't think that you can 
Don't think that you can sort of stand with one foot in and one foot out with Jesus. The Bible is very clear. You're either with or against. You're either an object of wrath or you're an object of his workmanship. You're either dead or alive. There's no neutrality, but there's no stagnation either. And this is really for those with the assurance of faith. You might need to check your assurance. You might need to look into that heart and matter to examine your own heart. There's no way to be stationary in the waters of faith, as we described a moment ago. Lazy, passive, go-with-the-flow Christianity is nothing other than an abuse of God's grace. God's given you responsibility, believer, responsibility in the church, in the kingdom. So, so take up your, your paddles, your oars, take up your oars and row. Otherwise, you're going to be drifting. To put it in different terms, we're in a battle, take up your weapons and fight. We're in a field, take up your tools and labor. Pay closer attention to the message of the supreme Lord Jesus who deserves the whole of who you are. Pay closer attention to the message. Secondly, second encouragement. <clears throat> Process the evidence supporting the message. It says here, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how should we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Process the evidence supporting the message. Here's, the, here's kind of the idea I want to get in your head with this point. Uh, think in terms of, you ever watch crime TV shows or crime dramas? You know, the police officers, they always have that place where they put the evidence. They take the evidence, they process it, they store it. Maybe they examine it for various reasons. This is what I want you to do with these verses right here. You need to store this evidence to know exactly who Jesus is and what is coming. First off, he says the evidence here is that retribution will come. Verse 2. This, retro, or excuse me, this um, message that he talks about the angels communicating. He's talking about the Old Testament, probably more specifically their role in delivering the Mosaic law. We've heard this reliable testimony through angels Here's the, the evidence of this, Acts 7.53. It says the law was given by the hand of angels. Deuteronomy 33.2, he came with ten thousands of his holy ones. Galatians 3.19, the law was put in place through angels. And here's the, here's the message that they were declaring that disobedience demands punishment. Disobedience demands punishment. Retribution. So retribution will come. Do you see in the Old Testament the practices of sacrificing animals? The sacrifices temporarily covered sin. 
If you were in our biblical theology uh, Wednesday night study, then you learned, you learned quickly how we talked about the, the way that, that God's wrath and judgment against sin was only really postponed by those sacrifices. It was just delayed. We talked about sinning on credit. We're sinning, but it's building up and it's building up, and at some point it has to be fully paid for. So we know this to be true. The word says it. The angels delivered it. The reliable evidence here shows that retribution will come. And I would tell you the world knows this too. They don't want to admit it fully like we do from the Bible. What do we hear from the world? Things like karma. That's absolute worldly philosophy. It's saying that there is justice but there's not a God of justice. The world recognizes this. What what else? Morality? On what foundation do you base your whole morality if you do not believe in God? How can you say that we need justice when you have no standard of justice? A finite human being cannot be the author of eternal truth. They're attempting to tap into the things that they know to be true while denying God. But see, even the world recognizes that there is retribution that is coming, and we know how it's going to come. There is punishment for sin. You know, as we're in this holiday season, I was thinking about a billboard campaign, I recall, several years ago. You may remember, I think it was in atheist organization that developed this campaign and so the billboard I think probably had Santa Claus on it or something and it said it quoted the song uh, one of the Christmas songs it said be good for goodness sake be good for goodness sake what they're basically saying is that you ought to be good you ought to want to be good but you don't need God for that They reject the source, the standard of goodness. They'd rather put it on Santa Claus, right, than admit that there's a God to whom they will answer, to whom you will answer. Retribution will come, verse 2. Also, we see rescue is here. Three, the first part of verse 3, he says, how shall we neglect, or excuse me, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Notice this phrase, such a great salvation. There's so much wrapped up in this. The salvation that Jesus brings is secure, is complete, is finished. It's good news when we don't hear any good news. It's good news when we had no hope. You see, the retribution because of the work of Jesus has fallen on Christ. The retribution is on him. He rescued us by taking retribution upon himself. This is the bare bones message of the gospel. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He was buried and he rose again. His vicarious death on the cross rescued us. And when it comes to salvation... 
folks. It's not, hey, here's, here's salv- your salvation options. You can choose door number one, door number two, door number three. No. No. He says, right here, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Look, there's one door. It's the door that is Jesus Christ. And if you don't go through it, you won't be saved. There's one salvation. It's a salvation that cannot be neglected. There is no other option. How? How shall we escape if we neglect this? There is no other escape. There is no other rescue. Retribution will come. Rescue is here. And then thirdly, under the second point, reason lights the way. The rest of verse 3 and verse 4. I want to encourage you this morning. We do not preach a blind faith. We're not people, Christians, we're not people who are just groping around, trying to land on something. No, in fact, the Bible describes lost people that way. We preach a faith that is absolutely reasonable. It is an informed faith. It's a reasonable response. It's a level-headed answer to the most important questions of our existence. And as the writer here says, this is the message that Jesus preached. It's reasonable. Here's, here's more evidence. What does he say? He says, look, it was declared first by the Lord. You get this message that Jesus both preached and embodied as he went to the cross, as he rose again. But then we see other witnesses. We see the early disciples attest. They gave everything to Christ, all for Christ. They wanted to see the gospel progress happening before their eyes all throughout the book of Acts, all throughout the New Testament. We see them giving their blood, sweat, and tears to the proclamation of Jesus. And some of them, many of them, most of them to the point of death. Look, it's hard to deny the message of Jesus when all of his followers are willing to die for it. So he says right here, they attested to it. They heard from him. They saw in him. And then they told us. They are witnesses, but there's also more witnesses. There are supernatural witnesses. The early disciples attest, the supernatural verifies. He says, signs, wonders, and miracles. And I'll tell you this, God, as we see, we see throughout scripture, as we see in our day, God most often uses the ordinary mundane things in the work that he does. But as the New Testament clearly shows, the extraordinary breaks through oftentimes as a witness to his work. The disciples, the supernatural things that we can't, we can't quite break down to a, to a scientific or mathematic formula. They don't make sense in the way that we measure things, humanly speaking. He gives a third witness. The Spirit confirms. Gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. We could say these are the manifestations of the Spirit, not just gifts, but the fruit of the Spirit, the acts, the one another's. Have y'all experienced 
that sort of spirit confirmation even this morning? Are you, are you confirmed by the Spirit again through the ministry of the people that surround you? Have you been able to taste the fruit of the lives around you today? Have you been able to receive the ministry of that gift that they've been given according to the will of the Holy Spirit? If you've experienced any of these things this morning, you can say amen when you read those words that this message of Jesus is confirmed by the Spirit working among God's people. So process this evidence supporting the message. Thirdly, finally from verses 5 through 9, prepare to see the message unfold. Prepare to see the message unfold. Verse 5 it says, for it was not angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. This is a reminder here, just as he covered in chapter 1, don't get tripped up on angels. Don't get tripped up on these lesser beings. Christ is the impressive one. You know what's discouraging to me is like in our day, Uh, People will latch on to these things that are mysterious, all the while neglecting the supremacy and the importance of the Lord Jesus. Guarantee you, if we put it out there, we're going to do a study on angels and demons. We'd get a significant response. If we said, we're going to do a study on the person and work of Jesus. Oh, that's not interesting. I don't care about that. Teach me about it. I don't know what angels are like. What do they look like? What do they do? We're all about that stuff. And the Bible doesn't even speak to that stuff very much. What it does show us is Christ. And it tells us over and over again, let us be satisfied in him. So the writer here, don't get caught up in angels. Focus on Jesus. And he's the one that fulfilled Psalm 8, which you heard from Josh singing earlier. Psalm 8 is quoted here in verses 6 through 8. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. David here, as he writes the Psalms, reflecting on the creation mandate from God that human beings were told to have dominion. But you know what happened? The first Adam failed. Even the great King David failed in his dominion. Yet the second Adam, Jesus Christ, is the ideal human being. Adam shook up his mandate, thus we cannot bring order to the chaos of this world We cannot redeem what's been lost. We cannot rescue ourselves or one another. See, salvation could not be accomplished by us. Psalm 8 speaks of the one who, being a man, did the things that we could not do. The last Adam. 
the man of heaven, the word who was in the beginning. He preached salvation and then he accomplished it when we could not. As we get into verses 8 and 9, there's a couple of things I want to note. First off, there's something that we don't yet see. What we don't yet see in the end of verse 8. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. I've had the opportunity of looking at maybe like a couple of sets of blueprints. And I'm no architect and I'm no, you know, AutoCAD, whatever you got to be to understand all that. I look at the blueprints and it's really tough for me to make out what's happening, right? I know what the house is supposed to look like to some degree, but I can't look at the blueprints and say, oh, yeah, I get it. Yeah, here's a doorway. Here's the measurements. Here's the height. I can't look at blueprints and automatically come to that conclusion. It's, it's hard for me to envision the end product from the blueprint. What the Bible's telling us right here is that we're living in a world and many even Christians are convinced that God's work is, is it's just not going forward. That God's, that God's not really totally in control of things. And we look in the world, we see the chaos, we see the sin, we see all the things breaking down. They don't see everything in subjection to him. And so they have a hard time believing that it's real. So there's something right here that we don't yet see. And it's maybe, maybe hard for us to envision the end product of what all life ordered perfectly under the Lord Jesus Christ is going to look like. But here is where we should get the best glimpse of that. I don't know what it's going to be like, but I know what it's like being with the saints of the Lord Jesus. And I love it. And I want it more and I want it more fully it's hard to envision these things sometimes and he says at present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him this word see right here is not it's not uh, to lay physical eyes on something this is a perception or a discernment and I would tell you that this requires spiritual eyes it requires the eyes of faith we don't see everything in subjection to him right now but we know through our faith this is a reality that is going to be worked out in the end fully so we don't yet see it but he says in verse 9 there's something we now see there's something we now see. We see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. You get this? Verse nine, the ideal man, 
verses 6 through 8. The ideal man, the Psalm 8 man is Jesus. It's this ideal man. He took on human flesh. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, and for a little while subjected himself to the frame of a man. And it's this ideal man who is now crowned with glory and honor. Why was he crowned? Because he suffered to the point of death to save people according to God's good pleasure. Jesus tasted death so that today you could have salvation. You know what motivated it? It says right here, the grace of God. He died because God wanted to show you grace. Grace. Rescue, not on the basis of anything that you have done or anything that you can offer or something good inside of you. Grace. It says you deserve nothing, but God in Christ has given you everything. And you can have it through faith. Believing upon him. Al Mohler says, to wrap up this whole section here, the first Adam plunged humanity into sin and death. The last Adam was plunged into death for the sake of humanity. And now we await the day when all things will be fully, visibly, rightly ordered under his perfect reign. That day when we will see everything in subjection to him. He is coming again. So prepare to see the message unfold. And I would tell you as we conclude, how do you prepare? How do you prepare? Listen to the words of the greatest prophet, Jesus. The true prophet. Hear him, believe him, know him, give your life to him, and wait for his advent. That must be the response today. That is the appropriate response today as we always pray. God's word does its work. The response, take a moment as we, as Josh plays here, take a moment to prepare your heart. Prepare your heart to sing praises to this Lord Jesus in celebration, fresh celebration of this gospel message. Prepare your hearts as we sing to give generously, cheerfully. And as the Lord has done work in your heart, as the Holy Spirit applies the word of God today, know that Kyle and I both are available to counsel with you or pray with you, whatever you need this morning. We want to know and celebrate with you. Maybe it's cry with you. I don't know. Over the work that the Lord is doing in your heart, and your life. Let's pray together. Father, we again, we express our deep gratitude 
deep gratitude that while we were in our sin, you loved us. You loved us to the point of putting Jesus on the cross and he laid down his life willingly in service to you and to us. Father, we're thankful for the service that he rendered, the service that accomplished our salvation. And so today we cling to the message of the gospel, not a message of simple morality, not a message of works, a message of grace. That while we deserved only your punishment, you put our punishment on him and you adopted us into your family. You called us your own. Help us, Holy Spirit, as we respond in these various ways, help us in our worship of the one true God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.